Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our weekly Parsha Shir. My apologies, we're running just a couple of minutes late today, but we are ready to begin. If you have a Chumash in front of you, you can open it up to this week's Parsha, Parsha's Kisisa. I'm going to start with Perak Lamed Beis, Pasuk Aleph. So this is actually the uh, the second Aliyah of the Parsha, Parsha's Kisisa, one of the longest Alias that are actually ever read in, in all of the Torah, and tells the famous story of the Egel Azov, the Jewish people worshipping of the golden calf, 40 days after Hashem gave them the Torah. The reason why this Aliyah is so long, I believe we mention this every year, but the reason why this Aliyah is so long is because it is specifically supposed to be received by a Levi. It's supposed to be received by a Levi because Shevet Levi was the Shevet that, of course, very famously was not involved in the worshipping of the Egel Azov. And they, um, and they received this Aliyah so that they're not embarrassed and ashamed uh, by the story. So that's where we're going to start. Periklamet Beis, Posuk Aleph, the story of the worshipping of the Egel Azov. So here's my introduction. A wise man once said, there's nothing more dangerous than a little bit of knowledge. And the meaning of that is this. When a person knows nothing about a particular issue, so then they know that they know nothing about the issue and they don't make any assumptions because they know that they're ignorant. When a person knows everything or sufficient amount about the particular issue, then their judgment can be trusted. Their input is significant because they're, they're knowledgeable enough. Somewhere in between, there's this dangerous place called a little bit of knowledge. A little bit of knowledge means the person knows a little bit, but they don't know enough. When knowing a little bit, the mind does something dangerous. It fills in the gaps. Instead of us truly being aware that we have limitations and there are holes in what it is that we know, what the mind does is it tells us that we know the rest. And when in fact we don't, the mind concocts, conjures up the rest of the story based on our own preconceived notions. And that becomes dangerous because our own preconceived notions are twisted, they're, they're biased in one form or another. And so we end up filling in the cracks of our knowledge or, or, or the, the holes in, in what it is that we're not fully understanding. We end up filling up these spots with our own stuff. And often this stuff is, it's, well, it's almost always in, inaccurate, and sometimes it's even downright dangerous. So there's there's wisdom to that, right? They say there's nothing as dangerous as a little bit of knowledge. Or as a, a lawyer once said, he said, when you put a witness, a lawyer friend of mine said, when you put a witness on the stand, one of the rules of thumb is that you don't ever ask questions if you don't already know the answers. <laughs> because if you ask a question that you don't know the answer to, you may be surprised by the answer. And surprises are not good. We like to stick with things that we know and make sense to us. <clears throat> All right. Paraglamet Beis, Pasuk Aleph, Parshish Kisisa, Vayar Ho'om, the nation saw, Ki Voishesh Moshe Loredes Min Ho'or, that Moshe was delayed in coming down from the mountain. Vayikoyl Ho'om al Aaron, the nation gathered against, the nation gathered themselves together to Aaron. Vayoyim Ro'elov, and they said to him, Kum Aselonu Elikim, come on, Make for us an Elikim, make for us gods. Asher yolchulofanenu, that will go before us, that will lead us. Because this man, Moshe, who took us out of Mitzrayim, we do not know 
what happened to him. All right, the Pasuk is cryptic. The Pasuk is vague. The Pasuk is unclear. All the Pasuk says is that Moshe was, the people saw that Moshe was delayed in coming down from the mountain. So they gathered to Aaron and they said, make for us gods because who, who will lead us because we don't know what happened to Moshe Rabbein. Rashi gives the most famous interpretation. The Jewish people miscalculated the day. The day they miscalculated the days. They thought it was day 40. It was really day 39. The sixth hour came. Moshe Rabbein didn't come down. And um, Moshe Rabbein was, in fact, did come down the following day. He came down the 17th of Tammuz. This was the 16th of Tammuz. Bosotan, the Rashi says, the Sotan came, the Irbe and confused the world. Rashi says, and he showed the Jews a kind of darkness, the Afelo, and heavy darkness, the Irbuvia, and confusion. And the Jewish people thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was dead. And that's why there was so much confusion in the world. So the Sotan tells them, yes, Mace Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu has died, and that's why six hours have passed and he hasn't come down. And the Jewish people thought that Moshe Rabbeinu died, and the Ramban says very famously, they tried to replace Moshe Rabbeinu. Rashi actually writes this idea twice, that the Jews thought Moshe Rabbeinu was dead. Later on, when the Pesach says, the Jews said to Aaron, Ze Moshe ish, this man Moshe, again Rashi says, Kmin dmus Moshe Sotan. the Sotan again shows them some type of replica of Moshe Rabbeinu, that's being carried um, in the space of the heavens. Um, again, they think Moshe Rabbeinu. They think Moshe Rabbeinu is dead, and this leads them to the sin of the Egel Hazav. All right. Enter the commentary of the Balaturim. Says the Balaturim, my dear friends. This Balhaturim does not disappoint. Says the Balaturim, on the, the Balaturim is on the word Boishesh, or is it Voishesh? The translation of the word Voishesh is delayed, but it's a very uncommon expression, Boishesh. We don't, when, usually when somebody is late, we say Eichar or Ichar or something like that. Voishesh is a very unusual Torah expression. Says the Balaturim, Boishesh. Delayed. The people see that Moshe is delayed. Beis b'mesayra. In all of Tanakh, this word voishesh, for delayed, appears twice. Number one, ki voishesh Moshe. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu is delayed from coming down the mountain. Number two, quote, from shoiftim, perak hei, posuk chavches, madua voishesh richboi lovoi, why is his chariot delayed in arriving. Why is his chariot delayed in arriving? This, by the way, is referring to the chariot of Sisra. Sisra, a very famous general that tried to annihilate the Jews in the times of the Shoftim, we'll explain in a minute. His chariot is delayed in coming. Mahosom says the Balaturim. Mahosom base, just like over there with regard to Sisra. The reason why his chariot was delayed in coming is because he was, in fact, dead. So to hear, the Jews thought that Moshe was dead. As the rabbis explained in Masech the Shabbos, 
that the Satan showed an image of Moshe Rabbeinu's coffin in the heavens. And the Jews thought that he was dead. End of commentary of the Balaturim. Again, the Balaturim is saying, the word Voishesh appears twice in the Torah, in the whole Tanakh, once by Moshe Rabbeinu and once by Sisra. Just like by Sisra, in both cases, it translates to be delayed. Just like by Sisra's case, the reason why he was delayed was because he was dead. And in fact, his chariot wasn't going to come home at all because he was lying dead in the tent of a woman called Yael. So to hear the Torah uses the same words, Voishesh Moshe, because the Jews think that the reason why Moshe is delayed is because he's dead. Why do they think that? Because the Gemara says that the Sultan showed them an image of Moshe Rabbeinu's bed floating around in the sky, and that's why they thought that Moshe Rabbeinu has passed. By the way, just note, when Rashi quotes this, Rashi says, Ze Moshe ha'ish, k'mindmus Moshe herolem ha'sotan, that the Satan showed them an image of Moshe Rabbeinu floating in the heavens. The Balaturim quotes it as, that, he quote, they, they, that the Satan showed them an image of Moshe Rabbeinu's coffin in the heavens. All right, be it as it may, this is the commentary of the Balaturim. The posuk the Balaturim is quoting is from Shoftim Perek Hei, Posuk Chavches. Now, this posuk is from something called, is quoted from something called Shiras Dvoira, the song of Dvoira. Dvoira, the Torah says, was Isha Navi, was a prophetess. At the time, she was one of the earliest shoftim of the Jewish people. We're talking really not long after the death of Yehoshua. Yeshua's death is spoken about in Sefer Yehoshua at the end. Um, and then we have Sefer Shoftim. We have one or two shoftim before Dvoira. And then really within the first, I don't want to say exactly, but but not too many years after the, the, the passing of Yeshua is the story that the Torah tells us about this uh, this woman Shoifat called Dvoira, very famous. At the time, the Jewish people faced an enemy, head led by a man called Yovin Melech Knan. Yovin was the king, but his chief of staff, his army general, is much more, is much more famous. He's known as Sisera. Sisra is defeated by the Jewish people, by an army general called Borok, Borok Manavinoyam, upon the uh, initiative of Dvoira Ishanavia. And Dvoira sings a song of thanks and praise to Hashem after the Jewish people are victorious. This shiro is very famous. It's read in the Haftorah every year in Parshas Beshalach. And in the shiro, she describes some of which what happened. The most famous part is that when Sisra's army was defeated, Sisra flees on foot, and he ends up in the tent of a woman called Yael. Yael feeds him cheese to make him thirsty, wine to make him drunk. He falls asleep, and while he is asleep, she takes one of the pegs of her tent, puts it through Sisra's skull, and, and, and kills him, um, and, and, and thereby does away with this, with this threat to the Jewish people. Now, in the song of Devoira, when she speaks about this, she speaks about how Sisra's mother is waiting in, Sis in her home for Sisra to come home. And she writes these words. That she, the mother of Sisra, is looking through the window. And, she's and the mother of Sisra is crying. As she looks, as she peers through 
the slats of her window. And she says, Madua Why is his chariot, the chariot of her son Sisra, delayed in coming? Madua Pame Why are the footsteps of his of the horses that bring his chariot? Why are they delayed? She's pining for her son. She doesn't know that her son is already lying dead in Yael's tent. In fact, even Borok ben Abinoyam didn't know. He came running on foot to the tent of Yael looking for Sisra. And Yael says, come inside, I'll show you. And there was Sisra lying there dead with the peg through his skull. So the Posik says that, that the Posik again, in Shiraz Dvoira, Dvoira describes how Aim Sisra, the mother of Sisra, is looking out the window, pining for her son and crying. And she's saying, Madua Why is his chariot delayed in arriving? She's pining for her son. Says the Balaturim, she's pining for her son. She doesn't know that her son is dead, but the truth is her son is dead. So the Torah uses the same word, Boishesh, when it comes to Moshe Rabbeinu, because the Jewish people thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was dead, just like Sisra. All right, end of, at least for now, end of commentary in Balaturim. Now, before I move on to try to analyze this a little bit, I just want to give a little bit of context. This posuk that the Balaturim is referring to, that the mother of Sisra is looking out the window and she's crying for her son, Madua This pasuk is very, very famous for a completely different reason. Not because of the word boishish, but because of the word vatiyabev. The fact that the mother of Sisra's cry is referred to as vatiyabev, this becomes incredibly significant. Why? Because the Gemara Mesechta Rosh Hashanah the Gemara talks about what we refer to today as the Shvorim Trua phenomenon. The Torah tells us in Rosh Hashanah to blow a Trua. But the Gemara discusses the fact that we don't know exactly what it, when the Torah says Trua, what is it exactly that we're supposed to blow? The Torah doesn't describe it. It just says Trua. So how do we know exactly what to blow? Tki is simple. It's just a straight, long sound. What about a trua? The Gemara says the only way that we have, the only method we have to decipher what the Torah means when it says trua, and again, to this day, this is unclear. Is it a shvorim? Is it a true? Is it what we call shvorim? Is it what we call trua? Is it bloth? We blow all the combinations because we're not sure. The Gemara says on the word trua, the Gemara says, on the word trua, targum, unculus translates it as yevavo. A cry. And we find the word Yevova only once in all of Tanakh by Vatiyabev Eim Sisra. So based on this, the Gemara says the Mishnah, the Chachamah, the sages of the Mishnah were arguing how exactly did the cry of Sisra's mother sound? Was it more of a moan, like Shvarim, or was it more of a sob, like a truah? And that becomes the very definition of the mitzvah of blowing shaiva. That's why this posik is so famous. Everybody knows about this, that Sisra's mother stood by the window and cried. Because this is with our blowing of shaiva is supposed to imitate the cry of the mother of Sisra. In fact, Toysus brings in the Gemara, Toysus brings from a medrash that we have a tradition that Sisra's mother cried 100 times. And that's the source of the concept of blowing 100 sounds of the shaiva in Rosh Hashanah. The Balturim is not talking about that part of the Pasuk. The Balturim is talking about what the mother of Sisra said while she was crying. 
She said, Madua Boishesh Why is his chariot delayed in coming? He's stuck on the word Boishesh. But the Posuk is very famous because of the fact that Sisra's mother's cry, who's pining for her dead son, a man who the, the, the Torah says wanted to annihilate the Jewish people and would have annihilated the Jewish people had Yael not killed him, the cry that she has becomes the catalyst, becomes the platform for which we discover how to blow Shoifer and Rosh Hashanah when the Torah says Trua, because the Targum translates Trua as Yibod. Okay. Again, let's go back to the Balaturim. Balaturim says, Boishesh, Boishesh, just like Moshe Rabbein, just like Sisra was dead, so the Jewish people thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was dead, and that's why the Torah uses the same. All right? I got four questions to ask you. Question number one. What kind of comparison did the Balaturim making? Over there, Sisra actually was dead. That's why he was delayed. He was delayed because he's dead. Over here, Moshe Rabbeinu is not delayed because he's dead. Moshe Rabbeinu is very much alive. Yes, the Jewish people think that he's dead, but they're wrong, and that's the source of their mistake. But he is alive. So actually, it's the opposite. Over there, he's dead. Here, he's alive. Why would the Torah use the same word in describing the delay of a living person and of a dead person? That's very disturbing. Question number two. Are we really comparing Sisra and Moshe Rabbeinu? We couldn't find a better way to tell us that the Jewish people thought Moshe Rabbeinu was dead by using the same word that we used by Sisra. Sisra who threatened the very existence of the Jewish people. We mentioned this in the past. The Medrash says that if Yael had not killed him, and he would have managed to make his way back to, to, uh, to Yovan Melech Canaan. The Medrash says he would have gathered together an army and he would have come back more angry and with more of a vengeance and he would have wiped out the Jewish people. And for this reason, the Medrash says Yael, who killed Sisra, is more praiseworthy than Sarah Rivka Rochel and Leah because nothing would have come of the Jewish people that Sarah Rivka Rochel and Leah produced if Yael hadn't killed Sisra. And Moshe Rabbeinu is Moshe Rabbeinu. The Makabal Torah Misinai, the one who brings it to the Jews and 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 whose word we still study to study today, and who's very much alive. And this is the comparison that the Torah makes, that the Balaturi makes, difficult to understand. Question number three. If the Jewish people thought Moshe Rabbeinu was dead, then why in the Pesach did the Jewish people say we don't know what happened to him? Right, this is not only a question on the Balaturi, this is a question on, on the Gemara itself. But in this context, if the Jewish people think he's dead, then they should say, we think he's dead. Loya means they don't really know what happened to him. Maybe he's dead, maybe he's alive. All right, Rashi keeps saying the Sultan created confusion in the world. The Jewish people didn't know exactly what was going on. Maybe, so does that mean, excuse me, they weren't sure whether Moshe Rabbeinu was dead or not? They were wondering? Did they think he was dead or not? Balaturim says, they thought he was dead. The Pasuk says, the Jewish people said, we don't know what happened to him. So which one is it? Are they sure or are they not sure? The, the, the Baal Turim says, they thought he was dead. And question number four, when Rashi comments that the Jewish people think that Moshe Rabbeinu is dead, Rashi is commenting on the word Zeh. Zeh, we have this rule in Chumash. Whenever it says Zeh, it means there's an image, there's something you can point to. Zemoishoish means there's some kind of image in the sky that the Jewish people can see. Rashi says, yeah, they're, 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 they're looking at a demus Moshe, some replica of Moshe Rabbeinu, floating around in the heavens that makes them think he's dead. 
So we know from there that the Jews have some image or perhaps distorted image of Moshe Rabbeinu. Why the need to also use the same word as we used by Sisra to give us one more indication that the Jewish people thought he was dead? What, what's the need for that? Moshe Rabbeinu it isn't coming down. The Pesach says, Zeh Moshe Ish Rashi says, Zeh Moshe means they're clearly looking at or point, they're clearly seeing something. Based on this, Rashi quotes the Gemara that says they saw some image of him dead. So we see this seemingly much clearer from the word Zeh Moshe. Why, does, why the need to use this odd word, Boishish delayed, which will make us think of Sisra and then say, just like Sisra was dead, so too, here too, the Jews thought Moshe Rabbeinu was dead. Why the need to go there and, and takes a point that's already articulated in a different part of the Pasuk and stick it in with this word, Boishish. Okay. To explain this all, I got to give three quick points of introduction. Number one, here is an absolutely astounding commentary of the Zoya. Just, I don't know, I don't have better words for it. It's just what? On the words, speaking about Sisra's mother, who's looking out the window. In the Sparish Bezoyer HaKodesh, it's explained in the Holy Zoyar, quote, the Zoyar says, Shehu chaloin shel itztagninus. This window that she's looking out of represents the concept of astrology. The Zoyar says, we don't care which part of the house Sisra's mother was in when she was crying. That's not the point of the Pasuk. When the Torah says that she was looking out the window, the Torah is trying to tell us that she sees something astrologically that's causing her to cry. The Zohar compares this to something that the Torah says concerning Abimelech. Yitzchak and Rivka had told Abimelech that they were brother and sister. The Torah says in Bereshis that Abimelech looked out of his window. Abimelech, Melech, Bayashkev, Abimelech, Melech, Plishtim. Ba'ad ha'chaloin, Avimelech looks through the window and he sees Yitzchak and Rivka together. And then he summons them, why did you lie to me? You told me you were brother and sister, you're really husband and wife. The Zohar says it's the same thing over there. The Torah says chaloin, but once again, it's not a window, not just a literal window. It's the idea of astrology. Avimelech can see this by looking in the stars. Now, when I read this, that the Zohar, let's go, let's go nice and slow here, be very patient. When I read this, that the Zoyar says that the mother of Sisra is looking out the window, meaning that she has an astrological vision, there's a thought here. There's a thought here. You remember Rashi in Bereshis writes that when the wife of Poitifar was harassing Yosef, Rashi actually writes that she did it L'Shem Shamayim. Remember that? She did it L'Shem. She, her motives were pure. Why? Rashi says because she saw astrologically that she's destined to have children with Yosef. Rashi writes this. She's dead. She saw astrologically that she's destined to have children from Yosef. So she can see in the stars that her and Yosef have descendants together. So she comes to Yosef and she tells him, listen, pal, 
you and I, it's destiny. You and I are destined to be together. All right, Rashi concludes that she, her mistake was that it wasn't her, it was her daughter. Because, because when Yosef becomes the viceroy, the Torah says that Pari gives him a wife and her name is Osnas Paspoitifera, which on a, on a simple level means it was her daughter. All right, others say it was her adopted daughter. But fine, on a simple level, it means her daughter. So what she's seeing in the stars is correct. She's just misunderstanding what she sees. It's not through her, it's through her daughter. So she has this astrological vision. What she's seeing is true, but she's not fully grasping what she sees. And because she doesn't see the full picture, it leads her to try to seduce Yosef. Now the Zayar says that when Sisra's mother looks out the window, she's also seeing something astrological. So the Zayar doesn't say, at least in the quote of the Zayar that I'm reading, the Zayar doesn't say what exactly it is that she saw. What, what is it that she saw? So maybe, maybe we can explain what it is that Sisra's mother saw here. Because again, the Zoya clearly doesn't see her just as a simple woman crying out the window for her son. She's got astrological power so she can see something. So what is it that she sees? I have a theory. Maybe what it is that she sees can be explained by the following medrash. You see, the Gemara tells us that before Yael actually killed Sisra, Yael and Sisra were intimate. Actually, the Gemara says they were intimate seven times. The Gemara says this was necessary. Otherwise, it would have never been possible for her to physically subdue him and, 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 you know, and kill him. So she did this for the sake of the benefit of Kalisol. And the Gemara discusses what an amazing act of mysterious nefesh of self-sacrifice this was. Hold on to your heads. Comes the Medrash and says, actually, she got pregnant from Sisra. And from her descendants comes none other than Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, who is referred to as Ben Gerim, the descendant of converts, his great-great-grandfather and great-great-grandmother was Sisra and Yael. Now, says the Zoyar, Sisra's mother is looking out the window, which means she's, she has this astro astrological, she can, she's looking into the stars, and she has this vision, she can see something, all while she's crying for her son. Maybe what's going on here is that a woman is not just crying for her son. Maybe what's going on here is that she sees in the stars that her son Sisra is destined to produce something incredibly great. And like the wife of Poitifar who can see that she's destined one day to have children with Yosef, perhaps the mother of Sisra sees in the stars that she herself is going to have a descendant through her son Sisra that's going to be one of the greatest pillars and, 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 and foundational cornerstones of the world. Rabbi Akiva! But her son isn't coming home. So she's standing by the window and crying. What's going on? She says, I can see in the stars, I see this vision that me with, through my son Sisera are going to produce something again. Maybe she knew it was Rabbi Akiva, maybe she didn't. I don't know exactly what she saw, but she must have seen that this was something unbelievable. 
Madua Boishesh Richpoi Lovoy says the mother of Sisra, where is he? He's got to come home. We've got, we've got things to do. We have a contribution to make to the world that will impact the world in an unprecedented way till the coming of Mashiach and beyond. The Gemara doesn't hesitate to tell us that the entire Torah that we have today, everything was taught to us through Rabbi Akiva. She doesn't know that Sisra is dead, that he's already impregnated Yael, and from that will come Rabbi Akiva. That part she doesn't know. But the idea that she and Sisra are going to produce something unbelievable, to one degree or another, this she does know. And this is why she's crying, in the words of the Zoya, at the window. Now, if this is true, or if there's any merit to this, this can give us a deeper insight into a fascinating nuance in the Gemara. Let's go back to Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce Yosef. Rashi says she's trying to put, she's trying to um, she's trying to seduce Yosef because she sees that in the future they're going to have children. Yes, according to the Gemara, at least according to some opinions of the Gemara, at some point she succeeds, and Yosef is ready to succumb to the wife of Potiphar. The Pesach says, he comes home one day to do his work. According to some opinions, he came home with the intention of being intimate with the wife of Potiphar. Then the Gemara tells that famous story. The visage, the image of his father appears to him, and he refrains. But what does the Gemara say? The image of his father appears to him, Bachaloin. Take a look at the Gemara. If I remember correctly. The image of his father comes to him in the window. And his father, his father tells him, if you do the sin, your name will re be removed from the, from, the, from the garments of the Kohen Godel, etc. And the commentaries talk about it. They say, wait, wait, wait. What's this shtick with the window? What's the window got to do with it? All right, there's a beautiful explanation that Yosef really saw an image of himself and he thought it was his father, was reflected to him in the window, etc. But based on this Zoyar, we can add a whole new dimension to this idea. His father appeared to him in the window. Why the window? Because Pertifar's wife must have at some point said to Yosef, look, I'm not motivated here just by lust, just by temptation to do a sin. I see something. What I see is real. It's 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 bachaloin. It's it's bit stagninus. I see something in the future. You and I are destined to be together. I see it in the stars. I see it in the future. This is this is not a simple woman. She she sees things and she's right about what she sees. Yosef says, if this is destiny, then why am I fleeing from destiny? So he came home. He said, if we're destined to be together, this is what Hashem wants. This is what Hashem wants. Says the Gemara, no. His father came to him in the window and said, you're misunderstanding the window. You're misunderstanding the message. Yes, it's true that there's destiny that you'll be together, but it's not this woman and it's not this scenario and it's not this way. A little bit of knowledge is very dangerous. 
This way Yosef knows, so Yosef can reconcile that the image of them having children together, although it is correct, is not going to be manifest in this way. And so Yosef knows that this is not the way Hashem wants it to, to be facilitated. Introduction number two. The Jewish people are concerned that Moshe Rabbeinu is dead. And now they need another leader to take Moshe Rabbeinu's place. Let me ask you a question. Does that seem fair? Does that seem fair to the Jewish people? The Sultan shows them an image of Moshe Rabbeinu dead. You don't think if Moshe Rabbeinu has died, it's time for them to appoint a new leader? All right, it shouldn't, it should not have descended to avoid the Zorah, Gilarai, and all the, all that type of stuff. Grant. Okay. Okay, for sure. But the idea that they need to replace Moshe Rabbeinu, shown to them by the Sotan, doesn't that seem unfair? And how does the Sotan have the ability to show this to them? If it's not true, what are they supposed to do when they're being fed fake news, so to speak? I want to argue that what the Sutton showed them was not entirely false. You see, the truth is that at this point, the Jewish people believe that Moshe Rabbeinu is going to take them into Eretz Yisrael. usher them into the land flowing with milk and honey. Maybe at this point they even knew about the building of the Beis HaMikdash. They would build the Beis HaMikdash and they would live there eternally forever. And one day the Sultan comes to them and shows them that actually that's not what's going to happen. And Moshe Rabbeinu is going to die. And the Jewish people see this and they panic. Now, yes, of course, it was in part untrue because Moshe Rabbeinu hadn't died yet. But at this point, the Jewish people are thinking Moshe Rabbeinu is never going to die. Ever. He wasn't, do you understand? We're talking here 39 days after Matan Torah. The Jewish people, before the worshipping of the golden calf, they're in a state of spiritual perfection. They're, they're, had they stayed here without the worshipping of the golden calf, they could have gone into Eretz Yisrael with Moshe Rabbeinu, lived forever. At least this is what the Jewish people are expecting. And this image, this visage that they have of a Moshe Rabbeinu who's no longer alive, this is not a simple, this is not, a, this is, the Sultan is not concocting this out of nowhere. This is because there's a surprise coming down the line where Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to take the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael and he's going to die in the desert, much to the pain and of Moshe Rabbeinu himself, the shock of the Jewish people. And maybe this is the deeper meaning of which means the Jewish people see a dead Moshe Rabbeinu or, a, or an image of it and they're not really sure what to, what to do with this. What do, we, what do we really do here? In other words, we have here, that's point two. Point three, what we have here is Three introduction number three point of introduction. What we have here is three examples of people who see things. What they're seeing, what they're seeing is they they're seeing something with tremendous depth. They have 
foresight. They they can see into the future. They they they're picking up on something which is incredibly powerful. But it's only a little bit of knowledge. They don't have the full picture. They're right about what they see, but not entirely. The mother of Sisra, the Zaya says, she's looking into the stars. Maybe she can see Rabbi Akiva coming from her and her son. She doesn't know that her son's already dead. He's already, Yael is already pregnant from him, and yeah, Rabbi Akiva will come from that. And, and, and Sisra is done for. She doesn't, she doesn't know this. The wife of Poitifar, looking into the stars, seeing she's going to have descendants with Yosef. She's right about that. Menashe and Ephraim. She doesn't know that it's from her daughter, not her. The Jewish people are looking. They see, quote, a dead Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu right now is still alive. But the Sultan isn't making up stories out of thin air. There is going to come a time where the Jewish people are going to have to wrestle, going to have to wrap their heads around continuing on as a people without a physical presence of Moshe Rabbein. And in all three cases, there's the potential for the seeing part of the picture, not the whole picture, to lead to disastrous results. The Jewish people don't know what, they're, they're, they, they panic. How are we going to survive without a Moshe Rabbein? We have, to, we have to, we need a new leader. Again, the Ramban says the Jewish people started off with looking for a new leader, right? We need a new leader. Moshe Rabbeinu is gone. The wife of Poitifar, desperate to have children with Yosef. She sees in the stars that, that, that they're supposed to have children together. The mother of Sisra, convinced that her son is alive because of what they have to contribute. In all three cases, it's part of the picture, not the whole picture. But the important point here to understand is that what we're what they're seeing is something. What they are seeing is an incredibly profound and and almost prophetic piece of the picture. Recently on the internet, I watched a great presentation. Really, um, someone says something very profound. A speaker comes out in front of a crowd and says to the crowd, "Let me ask you a question." The speaker says. What does it feel like to be wrong? Right? To, to say something wrong, to do something wrong, maybe even in public, you know, what does it feel like? Asking for responses from the crowd, right? From the verse. Well, it feels humiliating, it feels embarrassing, it feels belittling, it feels yada, yada, yada. And the speaker goes, you're all right, but you're not answering my question. You see, you're all talking about what it feels like to discover that you're wrong. <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what does it feel like to be wrong? And the answer is, to be wrong feels exactly the same as it does to be right. <laughs> A human being is convinced that what we can trust our eyes and we can trust our instincts. And when we're wrong, we feel the same as when we're right. The answer is it feels the same until you discover that you're wrong. And then you experience you know, the, the feeling small, maybe the feeling humiliated, or, you know, if you were overly confident, maybe there's a sense of loss, et cetera, et cetera. So these are all examples where individuals can see things and what they see is correct, but they're only seeing part of it. The rest of it, they can't see. And so the mind fills in the rest of the gap 
Sisra's mother thinks, well, Sisra must be alive. Aisha's Patifa thinks I must have children with Yosef. And the Jewish people go, well, if Moshe Rabbeinu is at some point dead, then we need a new leader that won't die, perhaps, or that won't let us down. But in all three cases, they're wrong. In the mother of Sisra's case, she's wrong because Yael is already pregnant. In the wife of Potiphar's case, she's wrong because it's her daughter, not her. And in the case of Moshe Rabbeinu, the Jewish people are wrong because of something else. They're wrong because, although it is true that Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, will physically pass, this does not mean that Moshe Rabbeinu needs to be replaced. What it means is that Moshe Rabbeinu's teachings and message and Torah will live on with the Jews even after Moshe seems to have physically passed on. Right? For this reason, the Gemara uses the expression, Moshe loimes, Moshe didn't die, although the Torah says he did, meaning to say that, that the Jews, need, in this case, needed not to replace Moshe Rabbeinu, needed not to feel lost by the idea that one day Moshe Rabbeinu would pass, but very much feel empowered by, by the idea that Moshe Rabbeinu would live on inside every single one of his students and, and, and Talmud. Okay. I want to throw something else in here, and then I want to go back to the Balaturim and conclude the Dvartar. Maybe we can use this idea to understand, to resolve the fact that the mitzvah of blowing shoifer on Rosh Hashanah is deduced from the cries of the mother of Sisra. This is one of the most disturbing passages of Gomorrah ever. Just wrap your head for a minute. Try to wrap, let's try to wrap our heads around what the Gomorrah is saying. It's the holiest day of the year. It's Rosh Hashanah. It's the holiest moment of Rosh Hashanah where everybody closes their eyes and somebody puts a shofar to their mouth and after making the brochas blows the sounds. The sounds of the shofar pierce the heavens. They bring down Almighty God's blessings in, in the most unprecedented ways. It's, it's, it's a somber moment. It's a moment of... of of the cry of the Yiddish and the Shamalah, of Inush Shabashamayim. I mean, it's 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 really one of the greatest, if not the greatest, spiritual pinnacle of the year. Typical Gemara. The Gemara goes, yeah, yeah. What exactly do we blow? What what exactly do we blow? We have to blow the shofar the same way Sisra's mother cried for him. Really? Sisra's mother crying for Sisra? That's the sound that we're trying to imitate now? And Tosis, like I mentioned before, Tosis says even more than that. Not just the nature of not just the, the nature of her cry, but the amount of times that she cried. She cried a hundred times. We have to we have to blow the show for a hundred times. Sisra was a Sina Yisrael, a modern day Sinwara, Hitler, Yimachimamazikram. Killed by Yael with a peg through his skull. A falasona Yisrael gezog. His mother who produced him was probably also some sona Yisrael or God knows what. And even if she wasn't, she was pining for her son. That's the sound we're trying to imitate when we blow Shifer. And not just the sound, the amount of sounds. Because she cried, therefore we're trying with our blow of the Shifer to imitate her. Really, as felt, we're lacking examples of Jews in Jewish history 
who shed tears and cried, who cried for their sons, Rahman al-Islam, who, 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 who were massacred, who were killed, that we have to go to the mother of Sisra. What do we want with the mother of Sisra? What is this? The Torah charging us to feel empathy for her? When she was the mother of a son, again, the Medrash says, if not for Yael, Sisra would have had his way. There would be nothing left of the children of Sora, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. Can't find a better paradigm to figure out how we should blow Shoifer. What's the, what's, what's the Gemara want here? The, Torah, the Gemara says, the Torah says in Rosh Hashanah, the translation of the word true is Yevava, the only place we find Yevava, but the Yavav aim Sisra. So however Sisra's mother cried, that's how we cry. And the Torah couldn't write it by somewhere else. I think the less I think the, the, the message that's being communicated here is unbelievable. What we're saying is we're turning to a Jew, and the Jew is standing in Shul on Rosh Hashanah. He has his eyes closed and he hears the shoifer sound, he hears the shoifer blast, and the Jew is crying. And we tell him, listen to me. Just like Sisra had already fulfilled his mission. He had made Yael pregnant. The beginning of the dynasty of Rabbi Akiva has already begun. Just like the mother of Sisra sees that there's something tremendous that's going to come from here, come from this, and she doesn't know what it is. Just as in Jewish history, even a Russia like Sisra can give us a tzaddik like Rabbi Akiva, says the sound of the shoifer to every single Jew, don't underestimate yourself. Don't write yourself off. Don't write off even every part of yourself. Your vision, the vision, the way we see things is incomplete. There's a plan. The Rabbani Shalom has a master plan. It may look to you like a disaster called Sisra, and in reality from it will come Rabbi Akiva. The shoifer is here to remind us, take every negative aspect of your life, take everything that you perceive as a downfall and as an imperfection and as a blemish and something maybe that you're ashamed and embarrassed of. Listen to the cry of the shoifer, hear the sound of the mother of Sisra and remember from Sisra comes Rabbi Akiva. From every darkness comes light. From every negativity, we can transform it into positivity. The reason why we compare it to the cry of the mother of Sisra is because it's perhaps the greatest example in all of Jewish history of taking negativity, of taking a soyna Yisrael. A person who wanted to annihilate Klal Yisrael and to show that in the Rabbeinu Shalom's master plan, not only does this Soyna Yisrael not eliminate the Jews, but every time the Jews are attacked for every Sisra, there is a Rabbi Akiva and thousands and thousands of years of Jewish students who will sit and study his Torah. It's the Rabbeinu Shalom's way of tapping us all on the shoulder while the shofar is blowing and telling us not to get discouraged and disheartened. Chazak v'yamets libecho, says the shoifer, as you cry and as you do teshuva, 
And as you look to rectify yourself and your ways, remember the tachlis, remember the purpose. The purpose here is to take the stuff we struggle with, the inner sisra within every one of us, and to say, the Rabbi Shlilam put it here for a purpose. I can use this. I can use this to produce a Rabbi Akiva. I heard there was a young man who once went to see the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he said, Rebbe, I'm an egotistical human being. I'm arrogant. Can you help me get rid of my arrogance? Once and for all, I want to be potter of it. I never want to hear from it or see it again. And the Rebbe said, well, maybe. <laughs> the Rebbe said, we can work on that. But before we do, before we get rid of the ego, can I ask you what it is that you're doing with your ego? Rebbe, I'm just trying to destroy it. He says, maybe Hashem gave it to you to motivate you. Maybe ask yourself what it is that I'm egotistical about. Have you studied Torah? Have you fulfilled mitzvahs? Have you made a difference in the world around you? Have you helped your fellow Jew? If not, tell yourself, in the meanwhile, until I get rid of it, let me look for something to justify it. Let me look for a way for the ego to motivate me to do something actually good so that I'll have something to be egotistical about. We don't know why Hashem chose to send the sisters to the world. We don't know why Hashem chose to give us a Yetzirah and pain and difficult and dark experiences. But as Jews, we'll never, ever stop, ever, doing our best, taking every sisera that's thrown our way and from it producing the Rabbi Akivas. This has been the story of our existence from day one. It doesn't make us, the sisras don't make us bitter. They don't make us angry. Well, maybe temporarily, but but in the long term, they don't, they don't turn us, they don't make us jaded. They, they, they inspire us that we become bigger and better and stronger because of it. And this is the meaning of tshuva. What do you think tshuva is? To stand in shul and beat your chest and say, I'm a terrible person. That's tshuva. You think Hashem wants us to stand in shul and say, well, almighty God, we're terrible people. First of all, it's not true. Second of all, that's not tshuva. Tshuva is to say, Rabbeinu Shalom, I'm going to take what you gave me and I'm going to do my best with it every single day. And even I, like Sisra's mother, can tell that something great and fantastic will come from my greatest of challenges. And so Sisra's mother cried 100 times says Taisfus. And that's why we blow the shaifa 100 times. To remember <coughs> that for every cry, <coughs> and for every painful difficulty that we go through, and for every challenge that Yosef or the Jewish people go through, instead of seeing a Moshe Rabbeinu who has died, we will learn with Hashem's help to see the Jewish people emerging stronger. Okay. Let me finish. Let me go back to the Balaturim and wrap up this Tvar Torah. 
says the Balaturim, the whole story of the Egel Azov, the whole, one of the most disastrous stories ever. Jewish people go in 40 days from Matan Torah to worshipping a golden calf. It's all about the Boishesh, Balaturim says. It's all about Boishesh. Because like Sisra, Balaturim makes the contrast, because like Sisra who was dead, the Jewish people thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was dead. Now Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't dead yet. But after 40 years, he would be. And to some degree, the Jews see that. That's why we're comparing him in a sense to Sisra. Because, because, because in the end, Moshe Rabbeinu is physically going to pass on. And the Jewish people become aware of this. So they lose their footing. They say, well, what are we going to do now? We need a new form of leadership. We, we need something that, that's not going to die. And that was their mistake right there. Instead of seeing this as a problem, instead of seeing this as a disaster, some looming doom that they needed to avoid, instead they should have looked at themselves and said, if the Rabbeinu Shalom gives us this type of challenge, then we have the strength within ourselves to overcome it. Moshe Rabbeinu would never abandon us, Rahman al-Islan, of course not. If we see in the heavens that at some point Moshe Rabbeinu will die, then we look into the Torah that he gave us and we'll learn how to carry ourselves as Moshe Rabbeinu would have wanted us to. Even after we can physically no longer see him. They should have learned this from the Balaturim, from Sisra. They should have learned it from Sisra. They should have thought about Sisra. They should have said, look at this. An army general who wanted to annihilate the Jewish people and anybody who looked at it would see disaster. But only somebody who looks at it at the surface. And anybody who can look a little deeper, right? Anybody who can see a little deeper can say, no, this is not a disaster. This is not only a disaster. This is the seeds and the beginning of Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva will come from this, who will single-handedly teach and say, teach Torah to Klal Yisrael and, 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 and save them all spiritually. Even if the Satan, Rahman al-Islam, has fooled us into thinking that we see Moshe Rabbeinu's coffin in the heavens, Says the Balaturim, don't lose hope. Don't lose your head. Don't forget that you're only seeing part of the picture. What's the other part of the picture that we're not seeing? The Rabbana Shleilam's hand that's guiding the whole thing. Okay, so what do we do about that? Instead of looking to replace Moshe Rabbein, we look to replace, we do what we're supposed to do with the Shafer sound. We look to reframe ourselves. We look to dig deeper inside our souls and find within ourselves the courage to overcome this challenge as well. The Jews miscalculated the days. Jews like to, we like to think we're good with numbers and counting. They miscalculated the days. No. So they miscalculated. So what? Says the Torah. But Moshe Rabbeinu told you that he's coming back after 40 days. And now you look up in the heavens and you it looks like he's dead. Now, says the Rabbi, I would have hoped you would look into yourself and say, okay, clearly I don't have all the answers. Clearly I don't understand everything. But this is not the end. The Rabbi wouldn't, Moshe Rabbeinu 
wouldn't have brought us here just to abandon us and say, now go figure it out on your own. The strength and the courage that we need to go forward lies deep within ourselves. Instead of looking to replace Moshe Rabbeinu, the Jews should have attempted to reframe, to dig deeper within themselves. They should have learned from Sisra that when something seems like terrible danger, from it can come the greatest Yeshua's Fatsalas for Klavitzra. As always, when we talk about this, we have to add, this isn't to say that we like the sisters of the world, Rahman al-Islam. This isn't to say that we embrace them. We do what Yael does. We put peg through their skulls and kill them. But it is to say that we never lose hope and we never lose heart. And we learn from our history and from our betochen and Hashem that the Rabboni Shlom always comes through for us and we emerge stronger and greater. The application of this, I think, is incredibly obvious, but I'm going to spell it out anyways. In today's day and age, on October 7th, we've seen, may Hashem protect us, one more sister. In the form of a, an attack on our brothers and sisters in Eretz and the rise of anti-Semitism all over the world, and the Jewish people are going, oh my God, nobody saw this coming. Wow, here's Sisra. So yes, the first thing we do is we put a peg through Sisra's skull. And protect ourselves. But then we look deep within ourselves, as the Jewish people have been doing since October 7th, and say, okay, it's time for us to be stronger. It's time for us to be more proud as Jews. It's time for us to declare in an even louder and stronger voice that the entire land of Yisrael belongs to us because the Rabbanu Shlilam gave it to us and we'll make no compromises and we're interested in no conversations about this and we'll fight for it and protect it and our fellow Jews till the bitter end. But we know that the end won't be bitter. Because from every Sisra comes Rabbi Akiva. The, the uh, Rabbi Yosheber Salavechik of, of, uh, of Yeshiva University said, this is an expression in the Gemara, I'll call koitz v'koitz, actually with regard to Rabbi Akiva, I'll call koitz v'koitz, which means, simply it means every one of the lines on top of the letters of the Sefer Torah, Rabbi Akiva extrapolated mountains of alochas. But Rabbi Salavechik said, I'll call koitz v'koitz, every thorn, Every time the Jewish people experience a thorn, another attack, one more Rahman al-Islam, painful, blood-drenched, dark hour, we produce another Rabbi Akiva. We produce, and Rabbi Akiva himself produces mountains upon mountains of alochas. The Jewish response, tshuva, means to take every negativity that Hashem sends our way for some divine reason and use it as a catalyst for more Jewish unity, for the Jewish people to be real, for the Neshama to be reawakened even stronger, to be more determined to build a better and brighter and greater future and present for ourselves, to be to have even more Avas and Achtos Yisrael, and for the Jewish people with Hashem's help to be even stronger, to continue many years, please God, with Hashem's protection. In fact, May it be an end to the bitter and golos. Please, God, with the coming of our righteous Mashiach, may it be speedily in our days. We'll receive somehow the Rabbanishalim will show us that all of the negativity of Jewish history, everything we went through, for some divine reason, which we don't understand, 
all brought us to the final moment with the coming of Mashiach. May it be speedily in our days. Amen.